Alright, welcome everyone to another episode of Kindling the Hearth Fire. Uh, We are a little late this time around, but I want to wish everyone a happy Beltane. I hope everyone had a wonderful time, whatever you were doing, however they celebrated this time of year. Um, Our protogove here in the South Bay had a lovely ritual with scrumptious potluck afterwards. Um, We have a wonderful episode for you this time, and all websites and sources will be listed in the links in the show notes, as per usual. Now, on to the rest of the podcast. Okay. This time, I am hoping to get back on track and discuss what the Irish Celts um, did during this time of year, or around the beginning of May. Um... In the Irish language, the month of May is known as Beltane. Um, In pre-Christian times, the festival of Beltane heralded in um, the arrival of summer and the end of the dark months of the year. Uh, Beltane literally means bright fire, and this festival was indeed celebrated with many bonfires, which were lit on all the major hills in Ireland, and there are quite a few. Um, One tradition of the time involved herding cows through um, between two big bonfires um, to cleanse the herd and bring good luck for the coming season. Um, I experienced a similar ritual with Sierra Madrone Grove um, a few years back, where all of us who who were celebrating built-in with them um, passed through um, the place between the fires to be cleansed and bring in good luck for the year. It was a wonderful experience, and I remember it quite fondly. Um, as the festival of Beltane also represented summer, when the cattle was being brought out to the summer pastures from the, out of the winter barns, um, there was also the need to safeguard livestock from the fairies, or just normal everyday diseases. Um, this was done, um, in particular for the fairies, um, this was done by pouring milk over the threshold of the house um, where the cattle was kept, or by passing cattle between the bonfires, sometimes with herbs thrown on the flames to fumigate the herd from pests. They might have accumulated and keep them protected from diseases. Some dairy farmers um, placed um, gorse or hawthorn over the door of the dairy to protect the milk supply from magical spirits that would steal or contaminate it. I wish you all good luck as you celebrate around your own fires. Now, on to the main part of the podcast. Um, This time we have the final part to Drum's talk about devotions. This time he incorporated the realms themselves in his devotions, or how you can in your own. Hope you enjoy. I think that the devotionals can extend beyond entities such as gods and goddesses. And I think that they can incorporate broader things um, such as uh, land, sea, and sky. So these are things that are not necessarily entities but are things or realms. So how do we go about doing that? How do we establish uh, these devotionals? I'm fortunate that I have a garden, and for me, the act of planting a plant or planting a seed um, is a kind of a quasi-magical act. 
I mean, if you think about it, you're taking something that's rather inert, you're planting it in the ground, and all of a sudden it blooms. Uh, my father um, passed away last year. He grew heirloom tomatoes every year. He did it for years, decades and decades and decades. And so I've continued that practice. And he would plant it uh, first quarter of the moon in February. He would plant his seeds, and uh, you know he would he would treat them with great care. He would have a box, and the plant the seedlings would come up, and he would separate them out. And he would usually have about 200 plants a year. And so I would fly into Chicago, fly back on the plane with tomato plants, and I would give them all kinds of people. And uh, I think that plants such as that work well in a ritual standpoint. They're good gifts to give out during a ritual uh, because they kind of grow. But I think that when you take something, a plant or a seed, and plant it in your garden, that relationship between you and the plant that you're growing becomes a devotional relationship because, um, I don't know about, well, obviously here you get some rain, but not always. <coughs> Uh, and where I, where I live now, the climate has changed and it's rather dry. Uh, so if I did not interact with that garden to water it on a, on a parameterized, that is, daily basis, it wouldn't grow, it would die. So I develop a devotion between myself and the, gar and the entities in the garden, these plants, and I water them. And I talk to them. The neighbor, I live on a street and I have a neighbor. And the neighbor has gotten over the talking to the plant thing, talking to the garden. Uh, actually, he's, he's, saying he's rather interested in it, but, you know, I just talk to them, and I spend time with them, and I, I give them, I water them with a certain intent, because it's, you can just, you know, put the hose out there, put a sprinkler, but I like to do it by hand, I like to get out there and actually apply my hands to it, and so I'm spending time with these plants, in and I develop a relationship with them, uh, as strange as that may seem, uh, because um, they're alive. They depend on me, and ultimately, I will benefit from the gifts that they have to give. Um, I have a lot of tomato plants. They generate a lot of tomatoes. And so I use tomatoes for myself. I can some, and I give some away. So the bounty spreads. Part of the devotional practice is in talking to them or saying the same thing every day. You know, I, you know, I give you water this day in hopes of bounty. Something as simple as that. And another part of the devotion is not only feeding them, but weeding them. There are weeds that show up in the garden, and I don't round them out or anything. I pull them out by hand. And so I get to see these plants as they grow, and they, they eventually grow, and they, they flower, and they flourish. And so I get, I get fruit from them, or I get vegetables from them. And so what I usually say um, is when I remove a pepper or a cucumber or a tomato, whether there's one of them or a thousand of them, Every time I pick one, I say thank you for your bounty. Thank you for bounty because I'm thanking the plant that has brought me this bounty. And um, I find that that works pretty well. And I think that the devotion and the re and the requirement of care extends beyond the, the end of the growing season. Um, you know, you can you could I could easily say, oh, no more tomatoes. I don't care anymore. You're on your own. I will keep watering them until the time that the frost takes them, and then it's the end of that cycle. Um, one year, when my father was still growing the tomatoes, I had I lived in an apartment, apartments, and I had balcony tomatoes. So these were tomatoes that were on a balcony in big pots, and they would generate um, tomatoes. And you know, 
October would come, November, whatever it was, beating up a frost, that would see the end of them. Well, one year, uh, when I was living with the household spirits for the first time, um, I thought I had 17 plants, and I said, I said, you know what, I just can't, can't just leave them out there to die. So I brought them inside, I brought them in the living room. So the cat was like, wow, I have a jungle in my living room. But those plants continued, and I kept them going for two years, like Frank and tomatoes. I'd put them back out when it got warmer, and they would flourish, and then I'd bring them back in. And that original 17, I think, are down, it's now been five years, and I think that my mother-in-law still has two of them. Uh, so, is that carrying devotion a little far? Is it, uh, you know, breaking the cycle of nature? Perhaps, but I just, uh, it was important for me to keep these tomatoes alive for whatever reason that year, and most of them survived. I think I ended up the year with, uh, I think there were 13 plants instead of 17, I lost four of them. Um, and I think it's just because some of them just didn't make it. But that was establishing that cycle of, of care with these particular entities. And I think that the garden analogy is really a good one, because it's something that really isn't a god or a goddess. Uh, it is really a thing. It's a growing thing. And that, that analogy can extend from the garden to roses. It can extend to a patch of weeds if you want to. I know some people that set aside a part of their yard and say this part is like a wild part of the yard. This is for the fae or this is for whatever the case may be. So, I mean, in some ways, at that point, there is a, a cycle of caring that goes on by leaving that part of it alone and not being necessarily quite involved with it. Um, so that's kind of the other side of it, of being directly involved and then kind of being directly uninvolved or not involved with it. And I think that these things pay us back. Uh, you could grow a, a patch of weeds and that's just as fine. If there's something that appealed to you, uh, part of my yard has been, uh, because we grow herbs, uh, we vend herbs, uh, we've cut back on the grass space and planted herbs. So, uh, once again with those, they keep going. Uh, some of them, I've got uh, some hyacinth, not hyacinth, hyssop, uh, that seems to go all year long. It came from Colorado, it doesn't, it seems impervious to cold. If you're familiar with kale, kale uh, will grow in any, any climate and uh, you just, even in cold weather, it's there. So I, we still take care of these things. So that's a, one way of looking at it as, as taking care or building a devotional practice with the land. It's not only, I think it's more important that not only we just do something for them, make offerings. In this case, water is the, is the ultimate offering for anything on the land. But I think it's also, it does not hurt to speak to it, to actually say words, words to them, um, even if it's something slight. I had a wood rose plant, a baby wood rose plant, many years ago. Someone gave it to me as a gift. It was a vine. And I planted it. I had a western window. And uh, it was one of those, um, it was a door, what they call a door wall, one of these things. And so the plant grew and it wound itself up around the, uh, one of the little string things. And then it wound itself around the, the rail at the top. And so I came in one day and it was just kind of hanging there. Um, as a vine would do. And so I just felt all of it. I put my hand up and the vine just went very slowly and came over to my hand. And uh, I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. 
you know, and so it happened a few times, and I thought, I have to show this to somebody else. So I had some friends over, I said, hey, and they're like, come on, and so they put their hand up, and, and it must have been attracted to the heat, or whatever the case, whatever it was attracted to. And I thought, wow, this, this plant, which is kind of vegetative, uh, actually is, mo you know, can move in a certain way, and it comes over, you know, wow, what a, what a gift it's given to me. Uh, so, devotional practices could also extend to things that are not annual, like tomatoes or cucumbers or things of that nature. Uh, you can also you can develop a devotion to a tree, uh, a tree in your yard, because that's a long-term relationship. And one that, um, I mean, I think I'm a tree hugger. I think that you can feel things in that tree, and I think that you can that you can mutually benefit from a, from an interaction between the two of you, energetically, spiritually, um, and you get to see the, the tree through its 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 practices. And um, I had an experience one time where there was one of those parasitic vines that had grown up along a tree. You know, vines grow up; they block the light from the so their leaves block the the light to the canopy of leaves from the tree. And I thought this cannot go, so I got rid of the vine um, and uh, you know the tree the tree flourished pretty quickly all of a sudden it's getting light and I you know for me I lived there for a number of years I always watched this tree and always you know because it was right outside of my balcony I was able to kind of build a relationship with it and by building that relationship other relationships in the area just around there kind of developed you know went a little deeper in the forest saw things I normally would not see. So that one, that one act of kindness on my part um, in cutting down that vine uh, provided a gateway to some other experiences that I normally would not have had. So that's, that's an example of building a devotional practice with the land. Building a devotional practice with the sea or with uh, bodies of water is another, is another way of uh, extending our devotional practices to the things outside of ourselves. Um, what's different about building a devotional practice with water, especially, uh, I mean, there's a number of kinds of waters. There's moving water. There are tidal waters, where there's actually tidal actions. Uh, and then there's still water, pools or ponds that may or may not refresh. Uh, so. I think there's ways of building practices with each of those. And I, uh, one of the groves I was a member of, uh, Shining Lakes Grove, uh, they built a relationship with the Huron River in Michigan. And what they did, they did some meditation and some trance work, and they decided that the, the spirit of the river was a spirit called Ana. And um, they treated it as a local spirit, a local um, river spirit. And so that's part of their practice every year. There's part of their ritual cycle that they honor Anna. And uh, I thought, that's actually pretty cool. And so I had a, where I lived, with the household spirits, there was a stream, right, uh, maybe 20 feet from where I parked my car. And it was called Silver Creek. And it was part, it was an offshoot of the Huron River. And so I would go there and I would spend time by it because I found it soothing. Sometimes there was more water in it, less, it was frozen, it was this, it was that. And so I spent a little bit of time with that, that waterway. And after spending some time with it, I noticed that I felt better when I sat next to it. I also noticed that there was trash in it. 
So my act of devotion, along with spending time with the stream and talking to the stream, was was actually a reverse practice. Instead of giving things to the, the stream, I took things out of it. I took the trash out of it. And, you know, if it wasn't flowing correctly, I would move things around and just watch the water flow. So in this way, in building that kind of a devotional practice, it was really kind of a reverse devotional practice, taking things away so that things are better. Does that fix what's going on upstream? Not really. Does it fix what's going on downstream? Kind of, yeah, because there's less garbage that's going to start here and go there. Uh, and I, you know, I spent, I did the same thing. I spent some time with the, the this body of water, and I found that I ascribed a name to it that I could call it besides Silver Creek. And I go back there. I go by there every now and then, not on a daily basis by by, by far, but. I go by there and I see the stream and I feel that I still, I still have a feeling for it. Maybe it doesn't remember me because time has passed. Um, the same kind of thing could go on for tidal areas where, thing, where stuff comes in and stuff goes out. You can take that trash away, help clean things up, a great devotional practice. The beauty of tidal practices is that if you want to write something uh, as the tide is out, you can write something on the shoreline, you can write it in Futhark, you can write it in Oum, you can write it in English, you can write it in whatever you want to write it in. And as the, as the tides come in, they will take that, that offering of words or prayers, they'll carry it away. The tidal movements, tidal actions will actually remove that, um, that prayer and then it'll be gone. So it's consumed at that point. And uh, so I think that's, that's a nice way to do that as well. Is there anything else that we can add to uh, water as, uh, as an offering? One could say that maybe if you have a, a moving a stream or something like that, uh, along with cleaning up the area, that by adding something like a leaf to the stream, writing your prayer on a leaf or saying your prayer into the leaf and putting it into the stream, it carries it away and therefore it kind of sends it out to the universe. Um, that's one simple practice that you can use with water. Can you, uh, is water a good offering to water? Uh, no, I don't think so, only because uh, where I live, there's chlorine and fluorine in the water, and I don't think that's necessarily a very good thing to offer the water. Uh, if you let the water sit for a while, uh, then I think that that stuff does evaporate out. Um, and there's different things, I don't know if we'll have time for it today, but there's, um, if you look at my blog, I'll be talking about it next month, about doing uh, devotional practices with the moon and uh, as an offering using water for the 29-day cycle. And then you can, that water is charged and purified after that time, and you can use that as offerings if you want to put that in water. Um, so finally, in the few minutes that we have left, uh, devotionals with the sky. Sky is kind of a weird thing. I mean, kind of like um, the sky is, in some ways, a canvas uh, on which things occur. So, what kind of things can we do with the sky devotionally? Well, I think the easiest thing, uh, easiest events are sunrises and sunsets. Christopher next door was saying that he does. I said I did my morning devotions in the car, and he goes, he does his as well because he gets to see the sun come up and. What I used to do, um, I used to do a morning devotional when I would see the sun come up and I would ascribe it to the god Lu. Uh, 
uh, not because Lou was the sun, but he was described as sun-faced. So I made a fundamental error in saying sun-faced must mean the sun. So anyway, I would say, hail Lou, red in the morning sky, overhead, nothing escapes your view, I see your face at dawn. And that was my morning devotional for Lou. And so then, a few years ago, I thought, yeah, well, it's not really Lou. Uh, I'm just going to honor the sunrise. So I say the same thing, and instead of saying Lou, I say, you know, hail to the sunrise. And then at the end of the day, when I get to see the sunset, I say hail sunset over, you know, over uh, red in the, in the evening sky, overhead, nothing escaped your view. Past tense, but it's already crossed the sky. I see your face at dusk. So it's a way to honor the solar event that happens every day. Is there any value in that? I think that it's a bookend. It basically says, here is the day, and I was able to recognize the beginning of the day, and I'm able to recognize the end of the day by saying these things and, and making an offering of words and time. Um, and I think it's helpful. I think it's, it's, it's helpful to notice these cycles in the world. No sunrise, no sun. You know, no matter what your gods are, if the sun doesn't come up, it's the end of religious practice for everyone. Uh, so for those who think the sun is not a powerful entity, it is an ed powerful entity altogether. There are other things that happen uh, with the sky, I think, that are noteworthy. Um, storms, rain, snow, these kind of events uh, can be acknowledged. Uh, I don't know that I would devote myself to snow uh, of my own biases. But I think that storms in and of themselves are pretty powerful and um, I think acknowledging the storm and the power of the storm um, is something that one could do. Obviously not on a daily basis because hopefully you don't have storms every day. But uh, I always like to look at the sky. I, like, I took some weather classes in college which was a long time ago and I still like to look at the clouds. And so I see clouds coming, they mean something to me and I can talk to the sky. Uh, and acknowledging the movement of the clouds with the beauty difference or the passage of the wind. I was because talking I, earlier about the, um, the Persids. Yes. How I, I want, really want that to be something I, I do. That's totally a like religious observance from, I mean, it's like a, a thing, you know, that happens every year that is totally outside of our realm. It's a magical time. Yeah. There's no question about it. I would love for that to be like, you know, a, a, you know, a religious holiday for people. That, that's what I do, is I go to the dark place and, and watch that. And you can do that, and that can be a point of devotion for you. I mean, it's not a daily one, but it's a it's a cyclical one that's, that's really important because it's like, what is it, every 30 seconds or every 45 seconds, it's boom, here's another, here's another one. And it is pretty stunning. And the darker it is, the, I mean, it, it gets pretty lively. Quite. <laughs> Every couple of seconds, we're in a real dark spot. And I mean, it is just the physical universe. It's just the interaction of atmosphere and, and, and product. But I mean, I think there's a magical component as well because it, it arises, and not awe arises in us from this experience. And I think that having that awe is, you know, it's part of what religion is about of acknowledging that, oh, there's something pretty amazing out there. Um, so, that's night skies kind of stuff because the daytime sky has some of the things I described, but the nighttime sky has lots of things that you can be observant of. Constellations, uh, if you look to the sky, if you're not too polluted by city lights, you know, watching, watching the, the, you know, 
Orion rising or watching Scorpio move across the sky. Um, it's an amazing event. And it happens every year, and it happens for a period of time every year. And you know, the really big one is, is the moon. And here's a thing that's going to happen every 29 days, every month, every, every lunation, there's going to be this event. And I think that there's significance in those events, even if it is only acknowledging the movement through those four phases. And I have a four-year-old grandson who's been fascinated with the moon. You know, he talks about, uh, like the first, the celebrity calls it the baby moon. And then he calls, um, calls the bigger moon, he calls it a broken moon, and then a fixing moon as it's fixing towards getting uh, full, and that's the big moon. And so, I mean, he's on independently, has, he's come up with these simple little terms. Here's, here's someone who's, you know, since he was like two and a half, looking up at the sky talking about the moon. He's four now. And so for him, in some ways, it is the beginning, a very primitive beginning of a devotional practice that, um, you know, he's awestruck it's really pretty amazing and I think that it, it's amazing in our lives as well and I think that for me a, a perfect offering to give to that is a bowl of water a bowl of water in the window uh, because the light of the moon is going to shine on whether it's it's a new moon or whether it's you know the you know just before a new moon all through that time there's light that's coming and I like to think that the light infuses those waters with something that's my own mythos and I feel at the end of that cycle that that water can now be used for something more than just water. Um, and I think that that water can be used as offerings to the earth, to other bodies of water, uh, to the sky, whatever the case may be. Uh, so I think that these, um, in that way, it's an offering. We acknowledge the moon. We say words to the moon. I have a series of devotionals that I've created for each of the quarters. And then, um, you know, by saying these words and offering our devotion to the moon, it returns us some, benef uh, you know, something beneficial in these waters. And uh, we can use then those waters to do something else. They can be as fundamental as the cats will go up and drink out of the water dish. Uh, or they can be used for something greater. Cats don't usually bother those. I don't know why that is. Uh, but in this, you know, an instance. So those are some slight examples. Um, there's other things that we can do with devotional practices, but it's a question of setting up a time, setting up a reason, uh, and I think that that uh, prayerful reasons or awe-inspired reasons are what what move us to practice, what move us to devotion, uh, and devoting ourselves. The thing that's interesting about devotion is, as you get a schedule for it, when you don't do it, you know you don't do it. You feel the space. Um, because if you do something day in and day in and day in and then you don't do it, it's like, oh, I missed something today. And sometimes if you do a devotional practice, I believe, with household spirits, um, things, um, sometimes you're reminded that you haven't been doing your devotional practices. In subtle way. Mm -hmm. right. So that's my workshop for today. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for stopping yeah. by. Lovely listen and a talk, and I had to cut a lot of the personal stories from a lot of the um, listeners and a lot of people that were in the room because of time and the fact that a lot of them had to do with um, 
not with devotions or the land, sea, and sky, the, um, the realms themselves. Yes, I know it was 1230. Haha. <laughs> My computer loves telling me what time it is. Um, but anyway, I had they had to be cut. I still have them available if anybody is interested in hearing them. Because there's a lot of interesting stories that a lot of the people there had to say. And, but mostly they surrounded um, household spirits and their interactions with household spirits. So it wasn't really on topic, so it had to be cut. But I still have them available. Let me know if you would like to have a separate podcast with just those on there. Um, but anyway, the talk was lovely. Drum is always great to listen to. He has such a font, font of knowledge. Um, you could sit there talk, talking with him and you would learn something every minute and you'd be entertained as well. Um... But anyway, great talk. Thank you, Drum, for popping in and telling us about devotions. Alright, next up, we have um, the book review. And this time around, once again, I'm not going to be doing a non-fiction book. Um, this time around, I actually picked up, once again, um, I've read this book before, but... As there's a new series that is coming out that is doing the interpretation of the series, I wanted to get um, a more recent memory of the actual characters in the book and the plot and things of that nature to see what they had changed and just get a better idea of what was going on. And of course, I'm talking about the series um, American Gods, and it is based on the book of the same name, American Gods. Um, by Neil Gaiman, and I have read this book before many years ago, but I reread it, and I have to say this is one of my favorite interpretations of um, the gods in a modern context, and his, I don't want to give too much of the book away or the series away, but um, his idea of how the gods, um, how we brought the gods with us when we left um, countries and immigrated into, is it immigrated? No, emigrated into America um, for, um, in many other cultures. His idea of how that happened and how they kind of got abandoned when they came to America in some ways. Um, it's a very, a very complicated plot of a book. I love reading it. Um, I still love reading it. Um, it is remaining on my shelf for the times to come. Um, it's also a really good reference tool when you're looking for specific gods in a mo- more modern context. Um, I mean, his um, interpretation of Odin is spot on, and I can definitely see him in a modern context as a kind of a trickster, a shyster, and um, an all-around, um, gosh, what gangster kind of guy. Um, old-fashioned, polite to women, but... Um, <laughs> I'm going to steal for you every dollar you've got um, without you even knowing it and, and you being happy about it. But um, definitely, I can definitely see bits and pieces of the actual Odin in his interpretation. Um, it's a joy to read. You should really pick it up. It's a fairly long book, complicated plot, complicated characters. The main character that you're following is um, Shadow and... Um, I really do love Shadow as a character. Can't really give too much away without giving too much of the plot away, but um, I loved him as a character. I love his growth throughout the book and um, the way that he changes throughout the book and where you he comes to 
at the end of the book and decisions he makes and things of that nature. And speaking to the series that I am also watching, um, they changed a lot in the, in the series. Um, they changed a lot of the timeline in the series. But overall, I think it's a really good series to watch, especially if you love the books and you're not too persnickety about details or timelines. Um, a majority of the um, items that happen in the book are in the series, but sometimes they're done in different ways that are more cine cinematic. Um, the way they're done in the book sometimes just will not work in a cinema um, feature. But overall, it was a wonderful book. It belongs on my shelf. Always will belong. It's definitely re-readable. I've, re I've re-read it at least three times so far. Um, and there's lots of, there's also lots of information in there as well. So it's kind of like, um, a mixed genre book where it's both fiction and it's nonfiction and it's reference material as well. As long as you take into account that this is someone's interpretation and it's basically a big, big dose, dose of UPG with references. Um, but definitely belongs on my shelf for many many years to come so that is my book review on american gods from by neil gaiman you can pick it up in most retail stores i actually got mine um from barnes noble i got one of their fancy editions where it has both anansi boys another one of um, neil gaiman's books that i absolutely adore um and american gods all in one hardbound edition with um a green cover gold lined pages and things like that it was like 20 bucks or something um on sale and i just had to pick it up because it looked gorgeous but that's what i've got on my shelf you can get a nice uh, a nice edition not quite that nice um for less than 20 dollars either at barnes noble amazon at your local retail store um used bookstores i always recommend used bookstores because they could always use the business and there's lots of books in there so even if you just go in for one you're going to come out with five and you're going to spend less than you would in any retail bookstore so anyway pick one up read it and i hope you enjoy all right that is the book review Alright, next up we have the recipes for this for this Beltane. Alright, the first recipe is creamed chipped beef on toast, or SOS for all of you out there. Um, the ingredients are, you basically have half a pound or eight ounces of dried beef, quarter cup of butter, one medium onion, finely chopped up, a third of a cup all-purpose flour, three cups milk, and eight slices of toast. All right, so what you do is you cut the dried beef into very small pieces, chop it up really, really fine. Um, and in a two quart saucepan um, over medium heat, melt the butter and cook onion until tender, but not really brown. 
Um, it's over says over medium heat, but I would kind of put it under uh, kind of between low and medium, kind of that middle section, so you don't burn the onion and you don't burn the butter. Um, okay, so after um, it becomes softened, you then stir in the flour and mix it together until it's smooth, and then you gradually stir in the milk and cook until thickened, um, stirring constantly to avoid. Um, burning the butter, the milk, and things of that nature. And you might want to turn up the heat a little bit. Um, then you add the dried beef and cook over low heat um, until heated thoroughly. Once again, to avoid scalding the butter and scalding the milk as well. Um, and you serve this over toast or another option um, you can enjoy this with is you can actually add green peas to it. This to actually add vegetables to make it more healthy. Um, for those of you worried about that, or even spinach. I love spinach, so this would definitely make it a better dish. And you can also serve this over, instead of toast, you could serve it over baked potato, or chopped up potatoes, or anything really that you can serve it over. Okay, so, and the next recipe that we're going to be coming up with, which is one that I'm really excited with in case you can't um, tell, because um, I'm actually going to be putting together a video of this for you on YouTube soon. Don't ask me for dates, but it is going to happen eventually, sometime after the midsummer one. Alright, so this one is going to be the springtime strawberry and ricotta muffins. It sounds really, really yummy. Okay, so what you've got to get together is for the ingredients um, two cups all purpose flour, one tablespoon baking powder, one cup sugar quarter teaspoon um, ground nutmeg, two eggs, quarter cup or half a stick melted and cooled butter. You can even use ghee for that actually because basically it's melted butter that's had the water removed from it so you could use that if you really wanted to. Um, if you wanted to play around with this a bit. But um, anyway, you then put in half a cup cold water, has to be cold, and one cup washed, stemmed, and chopped strawberries, and then one cup of ricotta cheese. Alright, first off, um, preparation is you're going to preheat the oven to 375 degrees, or whatever that is in Celsius. Um, and you want to spray the muffin pans with a non-stick spray, or you can spray butter on them if you want to avoid the aerosol and all that good stuff. There's lots of um, little tools that you can use to actually aerosol your, um, um, or sprayify your butter to use that for a non-stick spray. Um, you sift all dry ingredients together in a, into a large bowl. This actually puts air into the dry ingredients and helps turn the muffins a little bit more fluffy. Um, then you add eggs, butter, and water and stir gently only until the dry ingredients are almost all moistened. And this keeps most of the air inside of the mix. So once again, your muffins will be nice and fluffy and not very dense. Alright, and then you add the strawberries and ricotta and continue to mix gently until it's just incorporated. Um, be careful not to overmix once again for the fluffiness factor and this is very important which is why I'm repeating myself several times because 
I tend to tend to forget this step and my muffins tend to be very dense and they turn kind of brownie and cake like so it's like it's it's important you need to remember it okay so um, and then you spoon or scoop into prepared muffin pans um, filling them about three-quarters full so they can rise up and they won't overfill the muffin tins unless you want them that way which then just fill them up all the way and Anyway, but three quarters full is what they recommend if you want them to be nice and clean muffins. Um, bake for about 25 minutes or until a toothpick inserted into the, the center comes out clean. Um, allow to cool for a few minutes before moving from pans. Um, after that, you can serve them warm or serve them at any potluck you would like. They are they sound very yummy and I'm going to enjoy making them. And I hope you enjoy making them as well. Alright, and next up in this podcast we have our social calendar. And just as a heads up, I've been having trouble finding an updated version of this on the ADF website. They're going through a lot of revisions, so I, they can be forgiven for not including a couple of these events. So I had to go back to my first episode um, on my Google Docs, and I actually had a list of all the events throughout the entire year. And I went back and I double-checked that all the websites are current and found out when these events are actually occurring or if they are occurring. So here are the next three events that ADF either has a presence at or a festival that they're actually the ones running the show. Uh, let's try this one more time all right so next up we have our calendar social calendar for festivals that have just recently passed or are coming up in the coming months okay so the first festival which has just passed um, it ran from June 18th to June 23rd it's still going on but it's going to be passing in about two days from this recording um, and this particular festival is a pan-pagan festival called Chrysalis Moon, and it is held in Springville, Indiana. And in the show notes, their website will be listed in case you want to get registered for next year and want to find out what more about this particular pan-pagan festival. Alright, so next up, um, we have the Sirius Rising Festival. This is once again a pan-pagan festival, and it runs from July 22nd to July 28th. So you've got some time to get your tickets or get more information about this festival and get yourselves there if you want to go. And it is going to be held once again in Sherman, New York. And it will be held at the Brushwood Folklore Center. And their website, once again, will be listed in, in the show notes if you want to get more information and register for this event while there's still time. And the last festival we will mention today will be the another Pan-Pagan festival called, oddly enough, the Pan-Pagan Festival. 
and this festival is going to be run from August 3rd through the 7th and it is run by the Midwest Pagan Council and it seems to be a yearly thing for them in Monterey, Indiana. And once again, their website will be listed as well in the show notes. Partially because it is a long one and I am not spelling that out. Um, just be more convenient and easier on you guys. Um, just for me to give you the, the link in the show notes. But anyway, the show notes will have the link in there if you want more information and getting ready to register for this festival as well. Alright, final section for this particular podcast. It's a new one. And it's basically three... Basically, um, I wanted to, to add this section because there are a lot of great podcasts out there that I love and I've been listening to for a while or I've just discovered and I would love to share with you guys that are listening to this podcast in case you're looking for podcasts or you just want to put a, get a little bit more out of your morning or whatever you're doing with podcasts. But some of these are actually um, connected to paganism. Some of them are not. Um, but for this particular section, this time around, I'm actually going to be sticking to pagan ones. But um, I've got quite a few on my, on my um, list and some of them are pagan related and some of them are not because there are many features in my life that do not include paganism. I know, shocking, right? Um, and there are some podcasts that I listen to that I think um, anyone would be really interested in. But yes, so the three that I would like to spotlight today would be the, there's the Pagan Gumbo podcast. Um, Druidcast, of course, and Down at the Crossroads. Okay, so Pagan Gumbo Podcast, they describe themselves, and I find all of these on with my favorite um, pod streaming um, program or app um, called Stitcher, and they're usually um, anywhere you get your podcasts, Apple, po- Apple Podcasts, um, Podbean, any any streaming service that has podcasts will generally have these particular podcasts. Well, the first one um, is the Pagan Gumbo Podcast, and how they describe themselves. Um, the show really is just a continuation of the type of conversations we were having around the store. Um, we would drift from topic to topic and have conversation, laughter, and sometimes even debate about several things, hence the name Gumbo. Um, it is said that gumbo combines ingredients and culinary practices of several cultures. So our goal is to combine several ingredients from different pagan spiritual cultures and traditions. Um, and this is a great conversation podcast. I love popping in here because um, there's always interesting topics going on. They're always interesting to listen to. You always learn something and you generally have a good time just listening listening in. You almost feel as if you're part of the um, conversation as well. So. Take a look um, if you if you this sounds interesting to you. Um, the Pagan Gumbo Podcast and um, the next one I want to mention is the uh, Down at the Crossroads with Chris Oropello and Tara McGuire, um, Crossing Paths with the World, and this is a long uh, long time podcast that I've been listening to for quite a while. And here's how they describe themselves. It's a pretty good description of what the show is about. 
Um, join us for in-depth interviews, discussions with today's most influential pagan artists, authors, musicians, teachers, leaders, bloggers, podcasters, witches, druids, occultists, and more. Um, the conversations are sure to be inspiring, insightful, entertaining, and always engaging. And they're hosted by Chris Orapello and Tara McGuire. Um, I love these guys. Um, they're host and co-host. Um, they're also partners in many, many fashions. Um, and I've been listening to them for a very long time. And they're always entertaining. It's always a great conversation. Always lots of in- information to look for. Very entertaining. And they also just started a new section where they do mini um, episodes. And they also do... Um, what would they call that? They do not book reviews like I do. It's um, they do movie reviews of um, pagan-ish movies. Pardon me. Um, that they've watched and they review them. They they have a mini discussion before they watch the movie and then they pause the recording, watch the movie, and then they have a review of the movie afterwards. And sometimes they have a guest person on there actually with them, reviewing it and watching the movie for the first time. And you can even watch the movie alongside side them, like you listen to the, the pre-one before you watch the movie, and then you pause it, and then you watch the movie, and then you listen to the end, um, and see how your um, interactions match up. But it's a really great part of the show that they've just started, and they're always very engaging, they're always expanding of what they're going to be doing. And they're always interesting to talk to you, always hearing something new. And I say the word always a lot in this, because there's just so much in this show that you would just want to watch. And I've been listening to it forever, and I will continue to listen to it until they stop making podcasts. And I definitely recommend this this podcast for you, for anyone, really. Okay, and the last one I'm going to mention is an oldie but a goodie. Um, it's called Druid Casts, and it is actually the official podcast for the um, Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids, Obad, and it is hosted by Dave the Bard. And it follows follows a very um, simple format um, of him talking a bit, then they have have an interview, and then him talking a bit, and there's music. It's very simple, but um, Dave the Bard does some really great stuff with the sound, because he's Dave the Bard, professional musician and all that good stuff, and he does a podcast too. Um, But there's always lots of information on this podcast, and it's very informative, and the music's hit or miss for some people. Uh, My partner has been listening to it with me a couple times, and he thought it was was more miss than hit music-wise. But I've always loved the music, so it's a very broad mix of music that he brings to the brings to the table. But it's a very good podcast, and I would totally recommend anyone who is new or old podcast who isn't listening already to this to pick this one up. So those are kind of my review-ish recommendations for podcasts, and I've got a list of podcasts. How many? How how long is my list of podcasts? Three. Um, let's see if I can count. Three, six. 12, 15, 18, 21, 24. I've got like 25 podcasts that I listen to on a semi-regular basis. So we'll be going through this list and it ranges from um, pagany stuff to um, 
music stuff to things about Doctor Who. So <laughs> um, I have a quite a range of, of podcasts that I listen to, and we'll be going through this, and, and I'll be putting up here every episode two or three episodes that um, are part of my list or new ones that I discover because I'm always looking um, for, for new podcasts to discover and I always say that the podcast community is a wonderful community and that we always should support each other and new podcasts that come on older podcasts that have been on for a long time or a longer amount of time should be supporting newer podcasts that are coming on or kind of advertising for other podcasts that you love. So that's particularly what this section is going to be about, me just advertising podcasts that I absolutely adore. Alright, so those are the podcasts that I've been listening to and I definitely would recommend you all pick up or at least have a listen to. Alright, wrapping up, I would first like to thank all of you for your submissions. Um, I would especially like to thank Bonnie Landry, who you heard in the intro with Fireburn Bright. Um, I would also like to thank Drum again for sitting down with us at Pantheacon and taking the time to discuss devotions and his personal practice. Um, we're getting ready to put together the next podcast here at Kindling the Hearthfire. And if you have any ideas, celebrations, poems, songs, invocations, or anything else that you would like to hear included in the podcast, please send those ideas to kindlingthehearthfire at gmail.com I would also love to see pictures of your celebrations either post them to the Facebook group or on Instagram with the hashtag KTH for kindling the hearthfire okay and another update is that we're having a little bit of technical difficulties with the podcast so Um, We are only available on Patreon at the moment. Um, We will be getting Podbean up and hopefully Apple Podcasts as well, and as well as Stitcher updated with a new podcast as soon as possible. Um, But I fixed the problem. I just had to pay them more money, and we'll get get that figured out um, in the next couple weeks. Um, Probably after the next podcast um, episode. Um, which is the Midsummer episode, which will be up in the next week. Um, a little bit after the actual Midsummer celebrations, but very soon. So, hope to see you soon. Um, you can find our podcast, once again, on Patreon at the moment. And please um, subscribe to Patreon um, soon and help support the podcast. And as we will be adding new sections to Patreon's only subscriber things in the near future. And I mean this really, in the near future. Um, I actually have some things written down and I'm actually recording new episodes to be just for subscribers on Patreon. So please check them out. And as as little as $1 you will get um, access to these new episodes and the current episodes as well. And any other episodes that and any other updates that I put on Patreon. Alright. So thank you for listening and be well. And may you always continue to pray with a good fire.